Hey, and welcome back to Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, the show that takes you on a deep dive on the things happening in the industry. If you're new here, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, if you're an old hat, just sit back and listen to my spiel for just a minute. Uh, so I've been covering the DC food, wine, and hospitality scene for over 20 years. I know I don't look it, but I have. Um, it all started with the list, areyouwanted.com, the online e-zine that tells you everything happening in the DC metro area. Want to know about new restaurants? It's in there. Want to know about what's coming soon? It's in there. Want to know about every food and wine event happening in the metro area? It's in there. Of course, you follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, threads, ooh, X called X now. Um, Threads, LinkedIn, and of course now Industry Night here at the Gorgeous Wine Lair is on YouTube. So you better be subscribing. Tune in on Sundays to my husband, David Nellis, and I. We are on Foodie and the Beast 1500 at 11 a.m. on Sunday. Um, This year, it's 15 years on air. We're very excited. We're going to figure out something to celebrate that in conjunction with 20 years of the list. Um, And let's see what else I think I don't know. You hear me on WTOP. I do a lot of television. Sometimes I MC. You see me around town. You know how it works. Uh, Now, normally at this part of the show, I take you on a deep dive on all the delicious things I've been eating and all the places I've been traveling. But I have a guest today who's got a plane to catch, and I don't want him to miss it because I'm pretty sure he's got a lot to say. So uh, just a quick shout out to Chefs for Quality, um, October 30th. Mark your calendars. If you have not been in the past, let me uh, let me give you the 411. So Chefs for Quality started 13 years ago. David Hagedorn, well-known food uh, illiterati here in D.C. Um, he called me and a friend of ours, Amber Fow, and said, girls, we're going to do something to raise some funds for the human rights campaign and marriage equality. Six weeks later, we put on an amazing show at the Ritz-Carlton, right next door to the wine layer here and raised um, some amazing funds for the human rights campaign using the incredible work of over 60 chefs and 25 mixologists uh, from around the DC metro area. We took a little pandemic break, as lots of people did, but now we're back. So on October 30th, it is a seven ring circus that you want to be a part of. There will be 13 tables ranging in price from 12,000 to 40K. Several of them are already sold. Michelin starred and James Beard award-winning chefs will be at those tables. Then there will be 50 stations. Restaurants you know and love will all be serving up delicious, delicious food there. We will have 25 mixologists. There will be a VIP champagne and caviar lounge. And let me be clear, there is already four kgs of caviar, so you know where my tush is going to be. Um, there is the Speed Diner. This year, it's really special. So it's a diner, special ticketed price. It's a bar. All the chefs are behind it, five of them. I'll tell you who's there. Kyle Bailey, Scott Renault, Danny Lee, and Eric Bruner yang There's one other, and I can't remember who it is. Oh, David Kloss, and uh, a mixologist. And uh, they're going to be doing something very special in that space. They'll be serving their food and a cocktail. But then um, our favorite ladies, the queens, will be there. And it is going to be a drag brunch speed diner. So you don't want to miss all that fun. Am I missing anything? It's like there's so much going on. If David Hagedorn puts one more activation into this event, I may hurt him. But please join us on October 30th, chefsforequality.org. Okay, let's get on with the show. So in my role here, actually my role in life, 
I get to chat with lots of incredibly interesting people. Now, some of them I know, and many I don't, and then they become friends, which I'm always very grateful for. Um, but I love bringing, and I hate using the term old, but I love bringing friends on that I've known for a long time, especially those that got their start about the same time I did, because it's so cool to see how they grow professionally and personally throughout the years, um, and how they've been appropriately rewarded for it. So enter Adam Percini. Um, He's currently the senior vice president and global head of food and beverage brands at Hilton. And when I first saw that title on his business card, I was like, do they know you? But <laughs> I'm just kidding. Adam has a storied history with his rise in the F&B world, uh, which we will get to. But what he's doing at Hilton is not just changing the brand's image. It's, um, it's I think, the culinary experience altogether. So if you're of a certain age, like older than me, um, you remember that there was a time when hotel restaurants like totally set the standard for how people ate. They housed all the four-star restaurants. Look it up. It's true. Um, all the real foodies went to eat there. And like that's how you travel. When you traveled, you ate at amazing hotel restaurants. Hilton was one of the originators. Think Waldorf Astoria, or one of my favorites, the Carive Hilton mm -hmm. in Puerto Rico. Um, but over the years, there's been there was a pendulum swing, right? So independent restaurants started surpassing what was going on in hotel restaurants. And I think it took a little bit of a shift in space and time for hotels to be like, hey, this is our deal. This is what we do. So um, Adam Percini has made some major changes and continuing to make changes at Hilton. And we're going to get into all that. So thanks for joining me. How are you doing? Good. I'm excellent. Good to see you. It's always great to see you. All right. So let's start like back at the beginning. It's, it's something I say to almost everybody when they come on the show. Like you weren't a little boy dreaming of being, you know, in the hotel business. So how'd you get into F&B? I don't know if I would say I was a little boy dreaming of the hotel business. I was told by my father I had to have a full-time job. Okay, And so, fair you know, I grew up going in and out of New York City with my family, eating at great restaurants like the Waldorf Astoria and uh, Les Benas at the St. Regis and great hotel restaurants right. back then, but was really exposed to incredible food and beverage. Mm -hmm. And so when I turned 16, I said, well, what better place than to go work in a restaurant? I got but in, wait, were you, know, you cooking? Like, did you love, like, I also grew up going, traveling, going to restaurants. I grew up outside New York City. We yep. were in there all the time. Like, food was a priority to my family. Mm -hmm. Yes. So was that the same sort of vibe? A hundred percent. I mean, mm -hmm. we're Italian, so mm -hmm. I grew up in the kitchen. And okay. I think it was more about watching my mother and my father host all the time. Mm -hmm. Every weekend, there was parties, there was family, there was always food on the stove. We were always cooking, we were always hosting. And I love the energy and the excitement about being in that space mm -hmm. and watching people come to my mother's kitchen and getting great reward out of phenomenal food and great company. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the vibe of that, that transitions into a restaurant, you know, was something that was super attractive to me. When I went to go get a job at a restaurant, I didn't want to cook. It was zero interest in cooking. Um, you I were wanted, into the hospitality. I was into the hospitality. Fascinating. And uh, I got a job as a busboy, but then the general manager met me and he goes, no, I want you behind the bar in front of people. And I was like, okay, great. He's like, you're going to be a bar back. And I said, sure. Had no idea what that even was. Right. And I started and we opened a, a restaurant that's like James Beard award-winning restaurant in Connecticut. And on opening night, 
it was complete chaos. Like, you know, I mean, you have hundreds and hundreds of people, but the excitement, the energy, mm -hmm. I left completely exhausted three o'clock in the morning. I got home right. on my first day of work and I woke up the next morning. I couldn't wait to get back. Mm -hmm. And you know, it was a part-time job over the weekends. And then over the course of high school, I started picking up more and more shifts. And by the time I was probably a year into it, I was working full-time, doubles on Saturdays and Sundays. Just because you loved it. Loved it. Mm. I mean, like loved it. Was almost mm -hmm. obsessed with it, actually. Mm -hmm. And when you're 16 years old and you're making that kind of money, wasn't too, what wasn't that bad of a thing either. So, like, what you know, can I buy? What, what can I buy? Bought my first car, mm. paid for it in cash, you know, got some good dates out of it, you know. Right. You worked it. I worked it. Okay. So fast forward. So, you know, fast forward, time to go to college, mm -hmm. um, was kind of directed into going to more of a conventional school, old mm. school family traditions, a, a school that I came from that wanted me to go into a certain space. Um, so I went to the University of North Carolina. Mm. Uh, I lasted six months. Mm -hmm. I dropped out on my own admission and mm -hmm. showed up at my parents' front door. My mother thought I was coming home for a great visit and a total surprise. And I then can she, only imagine. And then she what saw my down. car full of all of my things. Right. <clears throat> that did not go very well. I can only uh, to imagine. To say the very least, I was like on house arrest for like a year. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and so as soon as I got back, my father was like, okay, you're going back to work. And I was like, 100%. That's what I want to do. And I was just not ready for college. And I also didn't want to do that. I wanted to go to the Culinary Institute of America, mm. uh, which I inevitably ended up going to about, right. about a year later. So I enrolled in the CIA, um, wanted to get a culinary degree, and then go on to get my hospitality business degree, which I did as well. Going to culinary school was all about just me getting as much knowledge about this industry as possible. And if mm. I was going to be a front of the house person. So wait, when you went to CIA, were they offering... Because CIA had a huge transition yep. with, um, and I love the CIA. Yeah, it's huh? like Hogwarts. Like it's so such a gorgeous place. It's a great, gorgeous place. Um, but you know, their their um, academics have changed dramatically over the years. Mm -hmm. It used to be specifically for chefs. Yep. And now there is front of the house. Now there's writing. Now there's you know wine. Now there's so many other things that you can take as part of the curriculum. That's right. Was that there mm -hmm. when you were there? So the bachelor's degree was the big change and the big shift. And mm -hmm. so I was class number three of the okay. bachelor's program. Gotcha. So uh, I, I continued, decided I was going to either go to a more conventional, you know, hospitality or hotel school mm -hmm. after culinary school, uh, after the culinary degree. But I decided just to stay at the CIA. I thought, it, I, well, first of all, I loved the school. Okay. I loved everything about it. I loved the people. I continued on. The school was, the, the bachelor's program was created in partnership with Cornell. So it had really good roots. Which is one of the, the, like, best. the best hospitality schools in the country. The I don't yeah. think a lot of people, I mean, yeah. unless you're going into hospitality, Correct. I don't know if a lot of yeah. people yeah. do that. It's, it's the, the best. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it, it was accredited. It was a great program. I got to stay on campus and be close to New York, be close to my family. But I worked the entire time that I was at CIA every mm -hmm. single Friday. I'd drive back to Connecticut. I'd work a Friday night, a Saturday double, a Sunday double. I'd pick up my laundry and I'd drive back to At least your mom CIA. was doing your laundry. Oh, she was doing my laundry. Yeah, yeah. She did my laundry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they waved the hospitality flag. Okay. Yeah. That's very fair. So, but you wanted to be front of the house, yeah. which is really fascinating because you would think going to the CIA, you'd get more turned on by cooking. Yeah. No, I mean, I think if you want to be really successful, I mm -hmm. think in this industry, you need to be educated on all facets of it. Mm -hmm. Food, beverage, service, hospitality, yeah, you have to business, know how it works. the whole bit. Mm -hmm. um, very often you see a lot of front of the house people 
that know nothing about the back of the house that causes a lot of friction, I think, too, in your relationship with the back of the house. You know, having a chef that has dedicated their art and their craft and their life towards cooking food and then working with people in the front of the house that really don't know anything about what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Eh, it doesn't go over very well in my experience. So It's funny that you say that. Some of the best restaurateurs I know have worked in all parts mm-hmm. of the restaurant. Yep. They know how to cook. They know how to execute. They know how to put out a meal, you know, in the heat of the, you know, like when it's crazy in yep. the weeds, but they also know how to do front of the house. They know how to take out the trash. Like they know how it works. You got to know how it works. And I think you it's can't, not a business you can just walk into. No. Like, oh, I can do that. I like people. Sure. <laughs> well, I mean, we hear the same thing. People are like, you know, if you're a good home cook, yeah. people are like, oh, you should open up a yeah. restaurant. Yeah. No. Or no, I love know. the business. I'm going to open up a restaurant. Okay. Sure. We've heard that line before. We've heard we it have. a lot. We have. We've heard it so many times. Okay, so you're in front of the house. Yeah. You're in Connecticut. Yeah. How do you speed up your career? So right out of college, uh, I went to the Four Seasons in New York. I, okay. I, I kind of made it my focus. I worked in one of the best restaurants. The owner used to work at Docks in New York, which used to be a thing on the Upper West Side. Mm-hmm. He taught me the ropes, what a good New York City restaurant ran like. So what were you doing? Were you... As the front of the house, are you managing? Yeah, I was are managing. you yeah. okay? I was managing because through culinary school, I was going up every weekend. I worked my way through that restaurant group to become a restaurant manager. Okay, and I was running shifts, doing the books, scheduling, mm-hmm. payroll, the whole bit while I was in college. Okay, um, and so I took that knowledge base and went to the Four Seasons New York. I got a job. I started as an assistant manager, left as the general manager of the 5757, mm. which was a three-star New York Times restaurant at the time. Uh, I was there for two years and said, you know what? I kind of had my fill of New York. Mm-hmm. I was an East Coast boy, spent most of my time in New York City mm-hmm. and was doing a lot of reading about what was happening in the industry and Vegas was on fire. Mm. And the Bellagio had just opened and you see all these chefs coming out to Vegas and it's all about Vegas and food, Vegas and food. And I'm like, well, this is pretty interesting to me. Right. So I quit my job at the Four Seasons. Mm-hmm. I bought a car and I drove west. No job, just as you do in your early 20s. You know, I took all my belongings and my dog and we drove west coast. (laughs) And I landed in Vegas and I knew a few people that were out there. Mm -hmm. One person in particular, Elizabeth Blau, who's from Connecticut. Um, She was Steve Wynn's right hand. She was behind all of what happened at the Bellagio. Mm -hmm. And she said, listen, she's like, We'll figure this out. She's like, I got a couple of social events come going on. You come with me and I'll introduce you to the right people. Mm. And at one of those events, just a few weeks after I landed in Vegas, I met one of the partners from Wolfgang Puck. Wow. And uh, it was a very quick conversation. And he said, uh, what are you doing tomorrow afternoon? And I said, nothing. And he <laughs> said, how about you come meet with us? We have a job opportunity. I think you'd be perfect for it. So which Wolfgang Puck? <clears throat> this was Wolfgang Puck's post trio, the okay. opening of the Venetian. Mm. And so this was the sister restaurant to Wolfgang's restaurant in San Francisco. So you really already had hotel hotel restaurant experience. I, I guess you could say that. I mean, the, the casino restaurants are not exactly hotel restaurants, but you do learn how to work with a hotel as right. a partner. Mm-hmm. So I was, we were we were a partner restaurant. We were a tenant inside of the hotel, mm-hmm. a big hotel. But you got to understand their counting principles, room charging, working in that space. The Four Seasons was a hotel, obviously. Um, you know, but the joint hospitality that goes together, right? Like the layperson doesn't 
care if the hotel is part of the property or not. Like those lines are in the back. They're That's not right. in the front. That's right. Do you know what I mean? That's right. Um, I think, you know, working in that space and, and coming to Vegas and getting that job for Wolf definitely exposed me to what a really busy restaurant was. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it made a busy New York restaurant look like, you know, kindergarten. Yeah, I can't you imagine. Know. How big was it? Uh, we were 350 seats, but we would do like 12 I was to 1,500 right. How many times did it turn over, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so that was like my... Okay, I'm in Vegas now moment. Mm -hmm. And let's see, I was, gosh, I probably was 24, 25 years old. I mm -hmm. got hired as the AGM. Uh, six months later, they promoted me to Wolfgang Puck, uh, the Wolfgang Puck Cafe, mm -hmm. which was at the MGM Grand. Mm -hmm. uh, promotion or Purple Heart for Wolfgang, not sure what, what, what to call of it because okay. it was kind of a cleanup project. And mm. he was like, you know, you have the right approach to do it. We, we did it to, make things right with MGM. And if we did that, we got a new restaurant out of MGM, which was the Wolfgang Puck Bar and Grill, which is still there. One of the most successful restaurants in Wolfgang's empire. Wow. Uh, I opened that up, partnered with Tony Chi on the design, mm. who did the Ritz Carlton in Georgetown, or excuse me, the Park Hyde here in Georgetown. Um, and got to really kind of get my hands dirty in the development of concepts and the building of concepts. And, and the did you like that stuff. component? Loved it. Okay. Loved it. So a different avenue of the industry, right? And mm -hmm. so did that. We absolutely just killed it, knocked it out of the park. Everyone was happy. Wolfgang loved it. And then... And how did you like... Because I don't think people really understand the structure of an organization like Wolfgang mm -hmm, Pucks, mm -hmm. right? Yep. I mean... Not nearly the same size as a Hilton, obviously, sure. but structurally, you know, did you have designs to climb up a ladder? Once, I mean, I know you were young, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. were you like, no, I want to get out of the restaurant. I want to go corporate. I want to stay in the restaurants, but I want to make these kinds of jobs. Yeah. I mean, listen, I was, I think I'm just driven mm -hmm. just generally, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't really settle mm -hmm. very easily. Um, maybe nervous energy, maybe just go on the future, but it's just kind of my, my, maybe my a little ADHD, a little bit, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, probably. And so, you know, when I was there looking at, I was reporting to partners and I'm like, I'm going to be one of them one day, you mm -hmm. know, but I'm going to get out of like the casual stuff. I want like some of his trophy assets. Mm -hmm. And without me, you know, one thing, it was interesting. I like reflect back on, I've never applied for a job. I've, I only had to write a resume for HR purposes. And so as I, I got to tell you, yeah. I find, I mean, I haven't applied for a job since I was 23. Mm -hmm. And whenever somebody's like, do you have a resume? I'm like, God, no. for what? Yeah, like, totally. You either know me or you don't. Well, right? I, was like, I was like, well, shit, how do you write one of those? Right. <laughs> I, I, I needed one for Hilton. And I was I like, I, I, yeah, yeah, I had to ask my wife. I'm like, hey, can you help me? <laughs> I'm like, I haven't done one of these ever. Right. Actually. Right, right, right. I mean, right out of college, you're like, this is my college resume. I'm a college graduate. Right. Here you go, four seasons. And that was it. And it's, I've never had one since because I think, you know, my, my work ethic, my drive, my focus on continuing to improve. It's and, like, who do you know? Educate. What do you know? And it's that industry too. Right. But, you know, I had a lot to stand for and a lot to stand, stand on as far as my ethic and what I do for work. So you came to DC, yeah. which is where we met. Yeah. You joined The Source, yeah, joined, which at joined, the time was the, source. the, it was the restaurant of the city. For sure. I don't even have anything to compare it to because yeah. it's no the restaurant in DC right now. It was yeah. hot. Yeah. It was great. Um, yeah. I mean, I, before that, I made my rounds, went to Maui, went to Los Angeles. I did mm -hmm. a couple things with Wolf, came to DC, 
at the time, I think they were still trying to figure out how to work in DC, but you know, had a great partner there, Scott Juno. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, he's got his own little uh, empire here now, mm-hmm. and uh, we we really took that restaurant, I think, to the next level. I think that was out. Like number thirty on the list when I got here, and I think we before when I left to move to Singapore, it was number three. Mm. Um, so, that, so Singapore, Singapore you... was the first international expansion of Wolfgang Puck. So wow. I brought Cut, our Michelin star steakhouse, to Marina Bay Sands in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Moved to Singapore, general manager of arguably the number one restaurant in Singapore for mm-hmm. about four years, and had an opportunity. At that point, I was like, okay, I'm I'm pushing forty in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Need a game plan. Need need, like need the five year plan. I'm mm-hmm. way over that now, mm-hmm. but that's fine. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like it in the morning, um, mm-hmm. but. All those years on the restaurant floor killed me. Okay. Um, but you know, this uh, is not the show for aches and complaints. Oh no, I'm not complaining. Okay. I'm not complaining. I still make it work. Um, so when I was in Singapore, I'm, I'm approaching my 40s, and I'm like, listen, I need a plan, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to be on the floor of a restaurant. You know, I, I didn't want to run even multiple restaurants anymore. I wanted mm-hmm. to do something di- different, something bigger. Because let's be clear, it's not just being on the floor. It's the hours. It's the hours. The hours I, are a lot. I had given from 16 years old mm-hmm. till about then 33, 34 mm-hmm. of my life to the business. Right. Anniversaries, birthdays, holidays, family it. events, yes. basically social life kaput. Mm-hmm. My social life was anything that revolved around my restaurant. Of which course. is great. And I love it. And I still do. Because it's a party. It's, it's great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there was time I needed to maybe reset have time to like actually have a relationship, have time to actually go spend time with my family. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, what's the next step? You know, the, the natural next step for me was I'd maxed out with Wolf. I'd been there for 12 years. Um, it was time to do something different. And then another phone call came, which was Las Vegas Sands Corporation asked me to take over all of Marina Bay Sands in Singapore, um, which was a $500 million food and beverage portfolio with 77 food and beverage outlets, 12 wow. Michelin chefs on property. I had 3,800 employees and I was asked to be the executive director. And so I- I mean, that must my- have felt awesome, Great. like in the truest sense Great. of the word, but were you a little, I mean, looking back, were you like, I mean, I think I could do it. Uh, no, I knew I could do it. Okay. I, I mean, I knew I could do it. I mean, Wolfgang's restaurant was in that property. So mm-hmm. they got to see me. I got to know the people. Again, okay. relationships were everything. And when mm-hmm. the job opportunity opened, you know, they called Wolf and said, you know, we want to do this. Are you okay? And I had to call Wolf and, you know, it was a tearful and emotional goodbye for sure. I bet. I mean, I flew to L.A., it was a long dinner and there was a lot of tears in both mm-hmm. sides of the of the table because, you know, he was like a father to me. Still is. I talk to him all the time. And so that was, and he, I feel like he kind of made me, if you will, because mm-hmm. he did so, we did so much together and he really taught me a lot. Um, but it was, it was just time. It mm-hmm. was time, time to leave the nest. Okay. So you take on this experience yeah. and um, I want to move forward a little bit. Yeah. So when did Hilton pop up? Hilton popped up, so I stayed in that role at Marina Bay Sands for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I then wanted to do more and was offered a job to be vice president of Capella Hotels and Resorts based in Southeast Asia. Wow. Um, that was a larger role. I was taking over rooms, so really leaning into so hotels. So really yep. understanding. Taking over rooms, taking over spas. So can we just talk about that yep. just a little bit? Because you know, so much of this show is about hospitality yeah. and how it's executed, right? Whether it's a restaurant or somebody coming up with their own product or travel or whatever. But what you've done is you sort of hopscotched 
through the hospitality, the different ways of hospitality, and how do you take on a hotel and sort of make sure that that hospitality is there at the level like a Capella <clears throat> yep. is a very specific level hotel, sure. Sure. right? Yeah. So how do you address that, see it, and be able to affect that? Listen, the roots of everything we do are grounded in hospitality. Mm -hmm. If you can't take care of people. Mm -hmm. then you shouldn't be in this business. Right. And so how you handle those people and how you engage with those people at a level of like a capella, mm -hmm. that honestly, that comes from experience, I think. That mm -hmm. comes from working in environments like Spago Maui and Spago Beverly Hills and dealing with like a certain level of customer mm -hmm. um, in front of you every day. But what we do is it's table six, take care of people. Mm -hmm. That and, makes sense. You, you just got to take care of people. And I mean, it sounds almost too simple to be true, but you need to be turned on to your guests mm -hmm. and not yourself. Right. Watch their movements, look at their body language, understand what they're talking to you. What are mm -hmm. they saying when they're not saying it? And so on it goes. You really need to be in tune and read the room. Mm -hmm. And if you could do that really well, you could take care of anybody. Right. I agree with that. And I, but I think it's a hard, I think it's a hard lesson for a lot of people. It's not meant for everybody. You know, I think growing up in the restaurant business, and I could say that, I grew up in the restaurant business, you have to be able to, even as a server, you have to look at your section. You have to right. read the room. You have to understand by body language how people are looking at you. That's a skill set that mm -hmm. you actually almost have to train yourself to understand how you to be, how to be good in this is to be able to look at the room and understand what people need from you right. without them asking you. Mm -hmm. And if you could figure that out, you'll be gold. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's, it depends on where you are. You know, there's certain areas where people are more hospitable or mm -hmm. the expectation of hospitable service is at a level and people know it. And then there are other places where it isn't, you know, yeah. um, I mean, we could go down a rabbit hole in oh that, my gosh. but let's talk so about many terrible stories. In that right. Yeah. Let's talk about Hilton. Yeah. The hotel is over a hundred years old. The yep. hotel brand hotel is over. Brand so is can over we talk about old. like, without, you know, taking up the rest of the show, but like yep. sort of the addition of hotels, like what falls under Hilton brands? Yep. Because it is, there's so many, so many and what that means as far as levels of service mm -hmm. and what your job is in rededicating F&B as being a part of the Hilton brand. Yeah. So listen, I think Hilton, the brand, the family name, we have Hiltons across the globe. Mm -hmm. We're, I think, in 177 countries and territories. I think mm -hmm. I have to fact check that, but we're, we're, we're out there. Okay. Um, we have 22 incredible brands now, mm -hmm. uh, over, I think, close to 7,000 hotels around wow. the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're made up of different categories. So we have different categories of hotels. We have our luxury hotels, Waldorf, Conrad, LXR, mm -hmm. our, what we call our full service hotels, which is Hilton, uh, Doubletree. Mm -hmm. We have our lifestyle hotels, Canopy, Motto, both of which are here in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. Curio, Tapestry, also here in D.C. I mean, we have all of our brands here in D.C. Right. Um, of course, we would well, hope so. Since the corporate office is right around the, the claim, corner, yeah, right. we would hope so. And then we have what we call our focus in all suite brands. So a brand that I'm sure everyone is terribly familiar with, Hampton. Mm -hmm. uh, very famous for the waffle. Uh, not sure if you've seen the latest commercial with Paris Hilton, okay. but it's brilliant. Uh -huh. um, and uh, we have True. Home with Suites, Home 2, Embassy Suites, HGI, yeah. Spark, so which we many. just launched, 
And we have a new hotel that's about to come out to market. The working name of the project is H3. Okay. It will have a name, but we have another extended stay brand that's coming to market. And of course, all of our sister brands in Hilton Grand Vacations and Grand Vacation Clubs. Okay. So it's it's expansive. It is expansive. To say the very least. And then when I started from coming out of Singapore to Hilton five years ago now in November, mm-hmm. um, it was daunting. Mm-hmm. Overwhelming is an understatement. I bet. Because the role you were taking on was not a role already there like what was what was like let's be honest 10 years ago people weren't like oh Hilton yeah that means go to F&B I mean that's not what people thought of as hotels and let's and and if we talk about like even nothing against the Ritz Carlton next Mm -hmm. door but they've struggled to have you know they had um, Eric Repair in there for a while that's right it just wasn't working the hotels in DC tried but there, there was a disconnect. So do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I mean, like, let, look at Elaine Ducasse. Look at um, Jean-Georges. Like, they all came here. They all opened. But I think there was this, well, if we build it, I mean, they're just, they're just all going to come. Yeah. And yeah. that's just not how it works. That's not how it works. Not, not, I think going back before that, I think, you know, there was a time and place, and you mentioned it earlier, there's a time and place where, where hotels owned the food and beverage space. Mm-hmm. And it was the place to go when you wanted to eat. Right. And... I think maybe the hotel world, largely, not not speaking about any one brand, but just largely across the globe, I think that hotel brands were not really in tune with what was happening in the independent restaurant space. Mm -hmm. And so these chefs from hotels started going out and opening up their own restaurant. Mm. And then they were breeding a new group of people that were going out and opening their own restaurants. And the independent restaurant space started to become incredibly competitive, very, very good. Um, you have to also fight to have your place in that market. You have to be your own PR person. You have to be your own engineer. You have to be your own housekeeping. You have mm-hmm. to clean your kitchens at the end of the night. So you have to work to make it work when you're an independent restaurant. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, I think, the drive to be successful and what was happening in the hotel space was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, about 10 years or so ago, I would say probably you started to see hotels shift Mm. where they're like, you know, the independent restaurants in the marketplace are taking our market share. Sure. And we need to get back on saddle and get what's rightfully ours as well. Well, do you think there was a little malaise, not in the hotel industry in general, but the malaise at hotels that was sort of like, I mean, listen, we know... 40% 40% of our guests are going to eat here. So they get what they get and they don't get upset. Like, do you think there was just a little, we don't have to really do a great job. We don't have to integrate with the community. We don't have to bring people in. Like, we're just here for our guests. Yeah, I think that, I, I don't think the restaurants ever looked at positioning themselves mm-hmm. to be destination within that marketplace. Okay. And now we know from our own experience, that that is a real opportunity for Mm -hmm. the hotel industry. And it comes in different levels and formats. It's really about meeting your guests where they are. So Mm -hmm. our our strategy is to really understand that hotel, understand the market that it's in, look at the independent restaurants that are in that marketplace. Mm -hmm. And we don't program and design concepts around what other hotels and what they're doing in that marketplace. Mm -hmm. We look at the best restaurants in that market where are the locals going? Okay. What are they looking for? Mm-hmm. Where is the white space? What kind of opportunity is there? Can a celebrity chef or a branded chef restaurant 
go into that hotel and be successful? Or is the market not ready for it? Does it demand it? Mm -hmm. And then we, we find the cuisine, we find, we find the program and we develop around it. Mm -hmm. But it, but I also, it can't just stop there. When you have a great concept, you have to have the right designers. Sure. You have to have the right ambiance and vibe to create mm -hmm. energy and experience because people now more than ever, and we our, our data shows us, they're, they're going out for experiences. It's oh, beyond yeah. what's just on the plate. You can have great food and great service, but if you have a beautiful room, you'd have great music playing in the background that mm -hmm. meets the environment that invokes the experience that you're trying to create. Right. You could put all those things together, the right uniforms, the right OS need. Well, you have a great package, but then you have to take that package. You have to make sure it gets out to market. Mm -hmm. And so you need really strong PR and really strong communications engine to bring that product to the right audience. And I think the hotel world also learning that, that it's important for us to engage with really good PR firms that support food and beverage because it's a totally different audience. You right. know, I always like to say, you never pick up a travel and leisure to find the best restaurant where you're going to go travel. No. You just don't. You go to the industry rags. You go to the blogs. You go to Eater. You go to these... The, these you go to the people who are eating on the ground. Eating on the ground. Mm -hmm. Eating on the ground. And if, we, if you build a great restaurant in a hotel and appeal to the local community, mm -hmm. they're going to build your future business because they're the ones that are going to be building the reviews, getting it out to the larger public audience. And so your inbound traveler... If they're foodies, they're going to be like, oh, look at this. This restaurant's, this restaurant's at the Conrad. This right. restaurant's at the Waldorf Astoria. Maybe we'll just stay there mm -hmm. since it's already there because that's the hot spot in town. And it's possible. And, right. you know, there's a little bit, I think, just change management of the industry. Again, at large, our competitors, I'm sure, are doing it too. Mm -hmm. But this is 100% of our focus. It's 100% of our strategy. And we're building and designing food and beverage concepts at Hilton globally that attack in just this fashion. Well, which I assume brings more money to the table, right? Of course. Like, but how did you go about when you first started yeah. with Hilton yeah. and you had this idea to work with sort of big, bigger name chefs? Sure. How'd you sell it? And how'd you sell it to the chefs? Because unlike Vegas, like, you know, some of those deals in Vegas, like the chefs don't even, they have to like do a drive-by maybe once yeah. a year. Yep. You know, certain cities are going to want a little more. And again, I always go back to the layperson because, you know, the layperson, the uneducated diner, which there are less and less of these days. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they go into a restaurant and they're like, where is Wolfgang? Like, that's even a possibility. So building, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Building the framework for these chefs to have an amazing restaurant. Like, listen, when, when Scott and Wolfgang opened the source, mm -hmm. Scott was put out front. Yep. He's That's the right. chef. It's a Wolfgang <clears throat> concept. That's right. But Scott Trino is the source. Um, is, he is it. And he, he did. He rocked it. That's what he did. So how do you, when you're working with chefs like Jose Andres or some of the other big chefs you're working with, how do you go about creating their vision mm -hmm. and executing in a way that meets uh, the diners where they want to be? I, I think we start with talking about the concept. Mm -hmm. Less about the chef. Okay. You know, I mean, it's a, say it's a Wolfgang Puck concept, mm -hmm. but the concept, be it, say, cut as an example, just mm -hmm. because we don't have any restaurants with Wolf yet, but maybe something in the works. I'm not going to give anything away. Okay, I was going to say. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not, no, no, I'm not going to give anything okay. away, but there's a couple of things that are in the brewing in the background. Mm -hmm. But take cut. Cut is the concept. It's by Wolfgang Puck, right. but it's cut that you're going for it. Mm -hmm. And you have to build the brand. 
And that's, it's, a, it's brand building. You can take any chef and remove their name off of it. And the concept and the name of the restaurant should stand alone. Right. And so it's really important that when we go to these hotels and go to new markets and bring in chefs that may only be there two times a year or once a year, it's about the concept. It's about the people that work there and making sure that we are also doing our job in hiring the right personalities to represent Sure, to that, be the face of the, the face of that concept. I think that's to so build important. the local relationships, to build the brand, to be out there working the brand because mm -hmm. the chef wants most of these chefs also they want that talent to be successful. Well, of course, I, it's all built on a foundation. That's right, right? Like it doesn't do a chef, a Jose or a Wolfgang or any any chef worth their name doesn't want one of their restaurants to fail. You need personality, you know, right. and you need personality in the back of the house as well. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think, you know, the chefs of, you know, the, the, the earlier years probably didn't put a lot of, you know, pressure on themselves or expectations of themselves to be mm -hmm. that type of person. But you need the personality in the back of the house as well. Yeah. Because, you know, people move in the business, as mm -hmm. we know, it's somewhat transient. And so you can't just have one person holding the reputation of the business. No. You need to share the love. Mm -hmm. And there can be two great personalities there can in be one three, room. I mean, listen. There can be many. You you've know? Got, there's lots of roles that can be highlighted. Correct. Right? Correct. And that's a way to engage more with the community. But that's also hospitality. Sure. Sorry. That's hospitality. It doesn't matter if you're the server or the bartender or the maitre d' or the mm -hmm. executive chef. You bring something to the table that mm -hmm. helps build the reputation of that business. Well, I appreciate that. And I think what also is interesting is that you're not just looking for the big, bold names. Like, it's exciting that you want to work with the big, bold names yep. and that you have these properties. But you also work with local chefs and markets. Like here Absolutely. in D.C., you did a concept with Nick Stefanelli. Yep, that's right? right. That's right. So how does something like that come to be? How do you how do you investigate in those markets to find sort of the right personality? But Somebody who's also going to serve really good food. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think the, the big chefs are the big chefs. We all know who they are. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of young emerging talent out there, not it's only not here young. in the Americas, but also all over the world. Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe not, but, um, <laughs> you know, we, we need to give them an opportunity and a stage to grow too. Like, who's going to be the next Wolfgate? Who's right. going to be the next Danielle? Mm -hmm. Well, you need sometimes a platform and a stage to help the process along because the business is tough. Right. And the economics are tough. And so if we can go out there and find that young emerging talent and give them a stage and an opportunity, well, it's a much bigger platform. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was part of the reason why we sponsored James Beard this year. You know, mm -hmm. James Beard, you know, brought us closer to a world of chefs and talent that is really, you know, doing incredible things, best in class, best in their craft. Mm -hmm. Well, our engagement now with them has become to the point that we are now starting a series of dinners that we're going to be doing across the United States in one of our hotels and bringing that young talent into our hotels, doing these forehand dinners or mixology programs and inviting our network of people to see them, which, you know, vice versa. They have their own crowd in right. clientele. We have ours and we're going to bring the two together and we're going to continue to carry that torch and, and celebrate right. those. You're just not going to like sort of sit in the moment. <clears throat> That's you right. Get, you no, have no, no, to no, keep no. moving. That's right. That's right. And well, that so will go all the way until next James Beard. So. so you'll continue with James Beard. We are going to continue with James Beard. I mean, yeah. we're you, really, we're really excited. And you I made think a big it, splash. We did. It was really exciting to be there. And, you know, again, I think it's great to give 
this young talent an opportunity because it's a tough business to get ahead in. And sometimes you can be the best at what you do and mm -hmm. sometimes hard to get noticed and recognized. And James Beard does a great job of doing that. They do. They do an amazing job. Well, let's talk. You brought something up that's very important because at James mm -hmm. Beard, you um, you did you were brought in Proof & Co. I did. Um, so let's talk about that partnership sure. and sort of you guys are doing a lot in the beverage area that yes. we haven't even discussed. Yes. So let's talk about why that's such a, why that's so important to him. Yeah. So, you know, I think, listen, we, we want to continue to move in the food and beverage space and we want to move fast. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, I think. Which is so really we, hard to do. But it, it's hard to do. And I think that there's some ground we need to make up for here. So okay. it's important for us to know that and know where we have our strengths and our opportunities and mm -hmm. an opportunity for us is to look at great partners in the food and beverage space mm -hmm. that help amplify and elevate the position of our organization while at the same time getting they, they get access to us we get access to them mm -hmm. and at the end of the day it's going to improve the guest experience so we partnered with proof and company arguably the preeminent beverage consultant and authority in the world mm -hmm. based in Southeast Asia. They're behind some of the world's 50 best bars, mm -hmm. 20 Hong Kong Street, Atlas, Manhattan Bar, which is in the Conrad Singapore. Right. And so they're just masters of their craft. We brought them in to do a signature ritual and experience for every Peacock Alley at every Waldorf Astoria in the world. Mm. They're also going to be behind the new uh, Peacock Alley bar program in its entirety at the Waldorf Astoria in New York when it reopens. Oh. And so some signature assets around the globe, mm -hmm. uh, they will be behind the scenes, you know, kind of penning out the narrative, if you will, about what that cocktail program is going to be. Mm -hmm. That's what they're great at, uh, amongst many other things. And so we partnered with them to do this for, you know, for the long run, where wow. they are our permanent partner on a go forward basis. Mm -hmm. And this is probably just the beginning of what we'll do with them. We also just partnered with Paul McGee. Right. Uh, Paul McGee is uh, the beverage authority, if you will, mm -hmm. in the uh, Polynesian cocktail space. He is. Um, don't say tiki anymore. We no. say Polynesian. Yes, we do. <clears throat> and so uh, Conrad Orlando is opening up in December. Mm -hmm. uh, it will probably be one of the best hotels that we have in the United States with one of the most robust food and beverage programs. Wow. Um, and Paul McGee is doing an incredible cocktail program at Papaya Club. Mm -hmm. We are going to kind of bring back the, the days of Don the Beachcomber and mm -hmm. Trader Vic, if you will. Mm -hmm. So poo-poo platters and Mai Tais so at the highest fun. level. Yep, uh -huh. fun beach side or lagoon side, if you will. Um, it's going to be a great program and maybe spoiler alert, but we have an Italian concept there mm. um, that is uh, called Sophia's Okay. with the Apero bar, which is kind of a spritz bar. It's an Italian trattoria, hand, mm. handcrafted pasta, point of recognition. You walk down the grand staircase and you see this beautiful pasta room where people will be stuffing raviolis and filling pastas with the spritz bar just adjacent, kind of overlooking the Crystal Lagoon. And we are now partnering with uh, Giancarlo Mancino, Mm -hmm. from Mancino Vermouth, the oh. authority on the world's best vermouths. Mm -hmm. That's in every world's 50 best bar. Uh, Giancarlo is also a sponsor of world's 50 best. And so mm -hmm. he'll be joining us now at the Conrad Orlando. And we will have the apparel bar by Giancarlo Mancino. Mm -hmm. And so we will have a, we're going really right to the roots, proper Italian spritz bar with a proper Italian and all of the Mancino vermouths behind the bar. And then you go outside and you could see Paul McGee and have a Polynesian cocktail. So two worlds, 50 best bars 
under one roof. That is amazing. Yeah. And it's in Orlando. In Orlando. Mm. I know. You don't, don't, don't discount what's happening in Orlando. Okay. There's, there's an emerging scene there in food and beverage. Michelin came mm -hmm. to Florida. No, I know, you know. I know. So, you know, we're, we're trying to, it doesn't really matter to me or the organization where the hotel is. Mm -hmm. We just have to be the best at what we do wherever we go. And if there's the right opportunity, the right location, the right environment, the right concept, we could find the right partner. Mm -hmm. We're going to leverage that relationship and, uh, you know, make sure that our guests get to experience it because we're all some Florida and Orlando, will you be able to have this? Nowhere. No, nowhere. nowhere. So I do have a, a sort of insider -y question. Mm -hmm. I'm just sort of curious because, and this, again, the layperson doesn't know this, sure. but Hilton doesn't own all the hotels. There is ownership. I'm just sort of curious a <laughs> yeah. little bit about that kind of uh, nuance sure. with those partnerships. The hotel world at large. Mm -hmm. Most assets are owned by independent owners. Mm -hmm. They bring in management companies, they hire a brand, mm -hmm. Hilton, and they hire management companies. We have our own management company, gotcha. and so we manage a lot of our own assets. But some of our owners, right? Because I think there's a, I think like there's a either a Ritz Carlton that's like run by Four Seasons or a Four Seasons that's like run by Ritz Carlton. Yes. It can be very confusing. It can, right? It can. And and but you know, for for the most part, most of our larger Assets and luxury assets in the mm -hmm. Americas are run by us. Okay. Cardinal DC, Waldorf Astoria DC, mm -hmm. Conrad Orlando, the Del Coronado, which we spoke about before. Yeah. Um, but we have a lot of franchise business in, in the United States, specifically in our focus service category like Hampton, Homewood, Embassy mm -hmm. Suites, etc. But going back to the relationship with the partnerships at our hotels, that's something that the Hilton brand, my, me and my team, work towards break out the Rolodex, think about the concepts, think about the programs. That's what we do. We design right. the programs. And so it's like dating. You're putting people, like you want to put the right people together, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, like brokering mm -hmm. almost. Right. Yeah, yeah. So we have the hotel owner and we have the brand and then we have Hilton and then we have the, the potential partner. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of dots to connect there to make sure that it works and that everybody aligns with what the vision is. That sure. starts with what we do by penning out the concepts and saying, this is going to be a great Polynesian you know, concept and we're going to rebirth the poo-poo platter. Right. That was my crazy idea because I grew up on those when we went out for Chinese no, I love restaurants. That stuff. Love I know. But, you know, let's do it. Let's I don't do know it. what that thing was in the center. I guess it the was like sterno. <laughs> that you heated your food right? over. Yeah, yeah. The barbecued pork and the chicken wings yeah. and the shrimp toast. Yeah. I mean, I am super excited about this, by the way. Um, so, you know, we, we, we sit back and we look at the property. We look at the location. We do the market study. Again, we find that white space. Mm -hmm. And... It's a whiteboard and we just start penning out start what scratch. that's going to look like. And then that builds to a potential crescendo. Of, you know what? Maybe this would be the perfect opportunity to bring in a beverage authority or mm -hmm. bring in a chef partner or find some local emerging talent to give them the stage and for them to own that space. And execute it. And then we open. And right. then we go back to the drawing board for the next project. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we have... Hundreds working at one time, but no doubt you know, we pass the we pass the baton off to mm -hmm. our operating partners, and you know we watch it from a distance, and right. see it grow. Well, let's talk about last two things. Sure, I want to talk about. I guess breakfast is important. Breakfast is super important. I don't eat breakfast. Tell me why. Tell me what I'm missing. Breakfast is the one meal a day that we can almost guarantee mm -hmm. our guests are engaging with us. 
Okay. You know, so it's it's, it's it's re, it's real it's real it's, 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 but it might be in different forms. So right. it might not just be coming down to you maybe a more traditional sit down breakfast or a buffet breakfast with your family. Mm-hmm. It might be at one of our grab and go markets or retail markets. Mm. And so we've <clears throat> we as part of our focus over the last couple of years is really kind of indexed on what is it what does breakfast of the future look like mm-hmm. what are the products that are really speaking to our consumer what mm. are they looking for <clears throat> traditional scrambled eggs and bacon waffles and pancakes will always have a home right okay. you know and in the Amer- especially in the american diet sure that you can't take those away but our guests are looking for more and they're looking for healthier options they're looking for low low calorie options mm-hmm. better for you gluten free vegan those things are important to recognize because our guests come in all shapes and sizes and have different masks and we sure. need to meet them where they are and make sure that we're stepping up to the plate mm-hmm. and getting ahead of that as opposed to you know behind it where maybe we were Mm-hmm. So we have really leaned into this better for you product mix, and uh, we did a actually in our retail marketplace, we did a test uh, last year with about thirty hotels where I took almost a hundred SKUs off the wall in our retail um, shops for the Homewood Suites, our sweet shop is what we call it, mm-hmm. and I replaced those hundred items. We took away. You know, the 10 flavors of Doritos and we took away, you know, a large selection of the, the candies and the sugary items and we replaced them with things like seaweed chips and udon bowls mm-hmm. and organic pizzas. <clears throat> Many people thought I was crazy. I bet out it flew of my off. Mind. The, I have to be honest. I bet it flew off the shelf. So it flew off the shelf. Of course. I mean, it was, it drove sales through, through numbers that I'm not publicly going to disclose, but it no. was a lot for and you. enough for us to say to... The rest of our brands, this has to happen because not only is it driving customer satisfaction, Mm -hmm. but it is also driving revenue and profitability for our owners. And so our guests are happier, our owners are happier. Mm. And so that, that and we're doing and we're and we're doing the right thing. We're doing what's right for them. So marketplaces are sort of a newer addition, would you say? Like you know, like the gift shop sure. days have sort of... The gift shops have turned into food shops. Right. Um, I think, listen, people are busy. Mm-hmm. And you have, you know, families taking their kids on sporting trips. You have, mm-hmm. you know, you have people going to dance camps and things like that. You have business travelers that need to be on the move. Mm-hmm. and But they need something that's going to satiate them. Sure. Or they check in late and they just want something to take to their room. Mm-hmm. But they don't want heavy... High they don't want to sit down at a restaurant. And they don't want to sit down at a restaurant. So we mm-hmm. have to find ways to fill in the blanks, mm-hmm. but do it more responsibly. Which I love. And I we are doing smart. that now. And we're not only doing it here in America, by the way. We tested this in Asia Pacific. Oh. And we just did it in our first Hilton Garden Inn in Singapore, where we have another corporate office. Mm-hmm. We changed the look and the feel. We made it brighter. We made the look and the feel feel fresher. You wanted to shop there. And we saw the exact same results that we saw here in the Americas. Mm-hmm. And so now across Asia Pacific, one country at a time, we'll be changing over our program, our products mix. The way that we merchandise is really important. How you display items on a shelf is really important. You have to make it attractive. You have to make it interesting. Of course, the and are everything. you have to give products to customers that they want. Well, also, yeah. I think, like, when it comes to marketplaces... I'm I'm a shopper, mm-hmm. so I love seeing something that I 
don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I don't know what that is. Sure. I will buy that because I want to try it. That's right. So um, I don't know if I'm the normal shopper in that case. Like most people maybe want comfort or know what they know. <clears throat> but I love seeing something I don't know. And I'm like, ooh, let's try these things because these are cool snacks to have and try. Do so you if you mean? have a point of view right. on what that programming should look like, say it's healthier, better for you, right. and that's how you eat. Well, we not only put the things that may be a little bit more recognizable to you, uh -huh. but we'll put in items in there that will maybe make you ask, oh, that looks interesting. I'll try that yeah. because they're surrounded by merchandise that you're familiar with. And sure. so it's in that same family. Uh -huh. So you might be keen to try it like seaweed chips, which right. oddly enough, or maybe not so odd, are one of the highest selling items that they're we delicious. have in one of our marketplaces. I have a whole bunch of them in my house. And Everybody eats them. Most, most of our general managers were like, that's never going to sell. And I said, well, let's just see. Do they not have children? I mean, seriously? <laughs> like, they're amazing. I love. Anyway, I love what's going on there. I think it's terrific. So, listen, we have to wrap up. Yeah. But just tell us. We could talk for hours. I know we could because there's so many more questions. So um, many more. But so let's just sort of wrap up with. Let's give a sort of a tidbit from you hmm. on um, sort of where, you, how you view yourself in your current role. Sort of like a little something to say to people getting in the business. Yeah. <clears throat> and then you can give a little tidbit about Hilton. Like, I mean, you can't tell us secrets, obviously, but sure. you know, something. My, my, my PR person is probably going to yell at me yeah. for, for maybe mm -hmm. the, the, the Giancarlo thing. Yes. It's okay. I could apologize later. Okay. You know, listen, <clears throat> this industry is ever-changing. Mm -hmm. And when I got into this business, I probably, I could promise you I never in a million years thought I would be sitting where I am today mm -hmm. doing what I'm doing today. Mm -hmm. um, it was organic. It happened with a out of a complete passion and love of the food industry, mm -hmm. which started as restaurants, turned into the industry, turned into hospitality at large. So I would say for anybody that's in the industry, that's just starting in the industry, uh, never say never to what the opportunities and possibilities are. Explore mm -hmm. everything. Um, ask questions about what you could have what you could and have the potential to do for your career. And I think, you know, where that's landed me with Hilton now is that I have the opportunity to take 35-ish plus years of experience working in restaurants and bringing that to the hotel hospitality space mm. and being somewhat of a change maker and coming in with ideas and, you know, sticking them to the wall and putting them on the wall and seeing what sticks and, you know, but based off of an understanding of what restaurants, bars, and guests are looking for. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's really about, again, understanding our customer. And so that's where I think where we are now. Well, what I think you said is really interesting. Like, let's use the seaweed chips as an example. Yeah. You're like, everybody told me I was crazy. Yeah. But you stuck by your guns. Yeah. You're like, what's it going to hurt? Yeah. Put them out there. Yeah. Nobody buys them. I'll buy them. Like, really. And I was always the first person to say, I'll be the first person to put my hand up and say, you know what? I was wrong. I was wrong. But sure. you know what? You got to do that too. You got to be willing to take chances. You got to be willing to be a little bit risky in this industry. And I think that that's where you've seen a lot of the independent restaurants be so successful because they were willing to take risks. Mm. And so we in the hospital, hotel hospitality industry, we need to be willing to take risks. And you know what? Hilton it's is harder. Big, it's much harder. It's a big, it's a big, it's a big organization. Big organization. Right. But you know what? Uh, Hilton is so supportive of 
food and beverage, so mm. supportive of taking these risks, so supportive of looking at opportunities where they exist mm -hmm. and going full steam ahead. And so I'm super fortunate. I work for a great organization. I love Hilton. I mm -hmm. love the fact that I've landed at Hilton. I consider myself super fortunate to be here and super fortunate that I have people around me every day that support this vision of we can be great at all things food and beverage. And so it's it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Well, that's a great way to end the end the show. Well, so, thank you so much, Adam Caccini. Tell us where we can find you. I guess we can't find you. So, where can we find Hilton? Where can we you find know, all the things that Hilton is I doing? Mean, I'm I'm on LinkedIn. You hit the okay. Hilton newsroom, so okay. that's where we post all of our you know latest and greatest uh, additions to all things Hilton food mm -hmm. and beverage and other. So you definitely find us at the Hilton newsroom, um, and uh, we're pretty active out there in the space. And there's so much food and beverage activity that's happening right now. That you'll see more and more stuff coming out in the press and the media soon. And I have a great PR person behind me and a great PR team at Hilton mm -hmm. uh, actively engaged globally around everything we're doing in food and beverage. So. Which I love. Yeah. And I know them. I know them you and know I them. love them. You know them. You do. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Hold thank on for one so sec. Let I'm me wrap this anywhere. up. Okay. Uh, thank you too for joining me today on this episode of Industry Night. Of course, you're following me at NYCCINELLIS, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Threads. And you know you want to subscribe to the YouTube channel so you can get alerts on all the amazing people that I'm talking to. Um, there's a lot going on right now with Hawaii and Maui. The show will come out weeks after that, but I'm sure the devastation is still just as devastating. So um, on the list, are you on .com, We have a lot of links that can help you uh, to keep giving because it's necessary. Um, and I know a lot of people in the DC space who are from Maui um, and Hawaii in general are doing a bunch of fundraisers. So you can check them out. Tiffany McIsaac, Doran Peterson, et cetera. Um, so thank you again for joining me today. We went on a little hotel trip with Hilton. Um, join me next week and be safe out there. Have a delicious week. Produced by HeartCast Media.